This hour of boat talk is made possible in part by Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague is up next. Good morning. Good morning. That's our friend Schooner Fair right there telling us that it's time for Boat Talk. Comes around here every second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill. Boat Talk is a uh, a navally-oriented call-in show for that uh, skiffs over the small stuff, and <laughs> we have yachts of fun here, too. And you can launch yourself right into the show by simply calling the toll-free number 1-866-625-9378. As usual, we have a whole raft of things to talk about today, and we have Giffy Full back with us, too. Welcome back, Giffy. Good morning, Giffy. Good morning. Yeah, and uh, Boat Talk is, like, say, a call-in show. We're going to try to leave some space for some call-ins this morning, but as usual, we got some news items, and we'd like to talk to... Uh, about quarter past, uh, we're scheduled to talk to a fellow named Dick Baldwin, who has made some boats as a, kind of a drift experiment in Bowden. Schooner Bowden launched a couple of them off of Newfoundland the other day, and they have GPS trackers on them. And uh, one of them just passed Newfoundland a couple miles off yesterday morning. We'll talk to Dick in a little bit about uh, things drifting about. Yep. And uh, speaking of drifty, I didn't mention uh, the host's name. That's Mike Joyce over there. He's the handsome one. I'm Alan Sprague, the, the suave one. He's the punny one. And Giffy, he's the uh, older distinguished one. Yeah, the homely one. <laughs> <laughs> he's the referee. <laughs> so anyway, what do we got in the news here? Uh, Teddy Kennedy just had his brain operated on. <laughs> and uh, before yeah. he went into the hospital, he went sailing. And according to the news this morning, he got home yesterday. He went sailing. Huh. Really? And if that doesn't speak to the happy place, I don't know what does, you know? Yes, you're right. For a lot of people, getting out on the water certainly is relaxing. Yeah, relaxing and, and like I say, a guaranteed happy place for some people. And if you've got a guaranteed happy place in your back pocket, that I would say that's a pretty good thing, you know? Yeah. I find it always relaxing to go float around. What else we got here? Uh, our friend Kathy Mastbeth, uh, she was in last year with the uh, uh, Blue Hill Power Squadron. Yep, the main power and sales squad. Yeah, which uh, we have a link to on our uh, BoatTalk.org website. There are about 6,000 people in America that do what Kathy does, uh, teach boating stuff through the Power Squadron. uh, uh, And she was uh, one of five singled out for a national award. Well, congratulations, Kathy. Yeah, so we know some famous, capable people. Uh, What else we got here? Uh, Well, this is right up your uh, alley, Giffy. Irving Oil Company out of St. John, New Brunswick, has uh, embarked on a two-year study of 11 potential tide sites in the Bay of Fundy to generate generate electricity from the tides in the Bay of Fundy. And I think that's wonderful because I'm a, I'm a big believer in it, and I think it's clean energy that uh, has unlimited possibilities. I think a lot of it is being missed, and Maine has many opportunities to use it. Boy, Many if it's moving, it's energy, and the Bay of Fundy's have uh, literally the highest highest tides on the planet, and uh, the volume of water going in and out of there is just incredible if you could do something with it. And it's been talked about for a long, long time, back to the uh, WPA, the the uh, Quaddy project Franklin Roosevelt was all in favor of being. Franklin Roosevelt, of course, was a Campobello summer yeah. resident for his early years, and he was very interested in that, but it came to nothing eventually. And uh, That's so the, because oil was cheap. Yep. Yeah. Fixing end that, that anyway. <laughs> They're promising five dollars by the end of the month for a, uh, a gallon of gas. Yeah, well, I, uh, I don't doubt it at all, and it's, it's going to have it's going to have a lot of rippling effects uh, across many areas. Oh, no doubt about it. And uh, lobsters, the price of lobsters is down. 
I uh, don't think the bait situation is as good as it could be, and the price of uh, fuel price, is through the roof. So yeah, prices bait just went up. I was talking to a fisherman yesterday. It's yeah, up quite a bit. Well, speaking of lobsters, how about this one here? PETA, the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, um, they uh, found out that uh, the town of Skowhegan has put their jail up for sale. They got a new jail in Skowhegan. They got the old one. It's uh, literally a very old brick building with a lot of bars in it. And, uh, you know, somebody needs to do something with it. So PETA has made a proposal to uh, snap up the Skowhegan Jail. And what they want to do is turn it into a uh, interactive kind of center for uh, prevention of cruelty to lobsters. Yeah, I think I'll probably be one of the first people <laughs> there that's going to serve time there for, for cooking up a couple of pound and a half They have a uh, feedback uh, little page in the Bangor Daily News now on page three, and, and Robert from Fairfield about this says, uh, this would be a wonderful attraction for Skowhegan in Somerset County. I appreciate the irony that PETA will take lobsters from the sea to a jail so that they may be exploited as tools against mistreatment of animals. And, of course, Skowhegan is not one of your seaports. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Where do you draw the line on cruel? I mean, you know, uh, can't we can't we slap mosquitoes? Well, Should we stop, live trap them and probably stop at my line where it comes to shucking out a clam? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I don't eat I don't eat meat, so uh, I'm not killing any cows or anything. But I'll bet you you've eaten some lobster now. Oh, I like lobster. <laughs> all right. Um, here's a little. Uh, here's one of my pet peeves. I'll share uh, about lobster cooking. People uh, boil up some, uh, often often just tap water. It really should be salted if you're going to boil some lobsters. Seawater, of course, would be best. And then they take the lobsters out of the bag or wherever they're hanging around, and they throw them right in with the rubber bands around their claws. Now, if you were going to season that water, would you throw a tennis shoe in there? <laughs> <laughs> you really should take the rubber bands off the claws. It makes a big difference, and it really does. It really, huh. Boiling the rubber is not an aid to the flavor of that lobster meat. Take the rubber bands off, but don't get bit. If you've never been bit by a lobster, it's quite an experience, and you're not going to enjoy it. So, and I can't tell you what makes them uh, let go. Speaking of lobster boats, here's a teenager from Beals Island who I guess should have known better or didn't know how. Anyway, he stole a lobster boat and uh, run it up and down Mosebeck Reach uh, between Jonesport and Beals Island. He managed to hit five boats in a dock. A fellow found it at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, damaged and circling in, in the reach there. <coughs> Excuse me. And the people who went out to secure the boat uh, they had uh, contacted the fellow that owned it. They established that he hadn't lent it to anybody. And the first thing they thought was maybe somebody's in trouble. Up. Maybe somebody's in the water. Maybe somebody's gone overboard. So they searched for him unsuccessfully, and then they arrested uh, the kid at home later on. Hmm. So uh, he did a, a large amount of damage. A lot of boats don't even have keys. If you yeah. can, uh, you know, throw the battery switch and, uh, you know, push a button, sometimes you can go. And... Uh, so anyway, not too hard to actually steal a boat, but not uh how's that for some down east joy riding? That's kinda, you know <laughs> taking a lobster boat. Well out that's for a pretty thrill expensive ride. Uh, for the people to, whose boats get seriously damaged and they estimate about fifty thousand dollars worth I of damage. I think it's a shame and and uh, I hope the young man uh, gets proper punishment. Yep. Like I say, uh, a new uh, version of, of uh, joy riding because he knew how anyway. So, Jonesport Beals, here's one uh, tragedy in, in Rockport Harbor uh, just last month. A surgeon from uh, Boston, he was the uh, head trauma, the chief of uh, trauma surgery at Boston Medical Center, and uh, he was on his boat in Rockport Harbor. And two of them, I believe, got into the dinghy. The dinghy capsized. One of them was uh, able to swim to shore or back to the boat. I'm not sure. They uh, fished the surgeon out of the water unconscious, and he died. Went into the water at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a nice June day. I'm sorry, nice May day. Well, I see a lot of dinghies that are really not very good. They're too small. Uh, sometimes it's uh, fairly... Uh, to put it gracefully, heavy people using them. And I, th I think there's just many dinghies that are totally insufficient. Well, you're right. I think sometimes people design dinghies so that they'll tow easily and they don't really think about the stability they need to have stepping they, in yes, and out. Yes, if they tow easily, they don't row very easily. <clears throat> and if they're small, they fit on the boat better. 
because sometimes you got a hoister on the foredeck or, you know, hang it on davits behind it, and a small dinghy is a good thing. There's been lots of uh, quests for the perfect dinghy. There was one uh, uh, fellow in Ellsworth tried to, I'm um, trying to clam something. Uh, Steve Callahan designed it, and it was a folding uh, dinghy that was... Uh, uh, would also, Nest I believe, du- soft, uh, something like that, and it also would double as a rif- life raft. Had a canopy that went with it, but uh, he didn't, uh, you know, get enough excitement about that. He was also getting divorced at the time. I don't know what, what that did to his business plan, but I remember him being all stressed out. Well, I'm a big believer in in two or three things. Number one, young people, as it applies to young people, they should <clears throat> learn to row first. Yeah, learn to row and handled a good, small rowboat. And uh, I've had several nice dinghies in my lifetime, and I, I think nothing of towing one all the way to Florida and all the way back, and I never had a bit of trouble with them. Mm-hmm. You can get in trouble uh, hauling a dinghy. We were going up the Cape Cod Canal uh, last summer, I guess it was, and here's some people uh, coming up, and they have a swamp dinghy behind them, and uh, like a big sea anchor, and they were struggling mightily with that. And if there wasn't traffic in the canal and it wasn't a good place to stop, they clearly needed help. Nothing really we could do for them. And I experienced a uh, kind of a nasty storm one time uh, in between uh, Georgia. We were off the Georgia-Florida Border, and uh, we had a, what were we on, a Hinkley 48 that time, I believe, which is an aft cockpit model. It had davits behind it and had a brand-new uh, inflatable dinghy hanging on the davits, all inflated. We were being uh, uh, chased and swamped sometimes by following seas, and we become very concerned about that dinghy uh, being filled up with water and, uh, you know, just wouldn't help the back end of that boat at all. So we tried to get the thing off the davits into the aft cockpit there, which we did, with some trouble. I remember the boys uh, holding my feet while I'm yelling, Mommy, why aren't my arms longer? <laughs> and trying to untie the thing and uh, it was, and then deflate it. And at one point I took my rigging knife off my belt and I, I was going to take the uh, marlin spike out and I needed to turn the air valve, okay, to, to get the... And when the captain saw me get the knife out, he thought I was going to stab the thing and yelled, No! And batted it out of my hand. And... Uh, you know, like I say, I was I was underwater several times as as we were uh, they were holding my feet. I'm over the transom and and uh, we're trying to get that dinghy in. Uh, Davits can be a my mix, comment. Mix it could have been off of there before you went to sea. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. We yeah. were going down the intercoastal waterway, Giffy, just in brief, and we had uh, two of the owners' friends aboard who, you know, weren't really suited for the voyage. And down the intercoastal waterway, you need to tie up every night. You can't run at night. And what would happen would be run all day, get drunk all night, run all day. And these boys were drinking a lot. And uh, we got a little tired of that. We got some nice weather and, and went offshore and got slammed, basically, and ended up being towed by the Coast Guard into Jacksonville, Florida. That's another story. So we got one more real quick. Uh, well, we got a couple more real quick. But uh, here's one about national security. I thank John Sheriffs up to Holden left this off. Um, uh, we've talked about uh, underwater sonar and stuff and how it affects uh, sea creatures and stuff, but if you've uh, watched Red, uh, Hunt for Red October and all that, you know that submarines are listening very closely, and part of their problem is the background noise of the ocean, biological noise and just what they call, you know, the noise. Um, turns out that a researcher from the uh, University of Maine, Peter Jumar of the Darling Marine Center, is instrumental in this. He, st- he uh, studies little tiny baby shrimp. And they make a lot of noise. They do. And can be impenetrable to sonar sometimes. So the uh, Navy has given him a big, uh, given him a big grant to study you them can, little you shrimps. You can hear them at night when you're down south in a boat down below sleeping. You can hear them at night. Noisy huh. shrimp. Yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, national security tie-ins to, uh, like say, a uh, noisy shrimp there. Here's another one from the Bangor Daily News, uh, Tuesday, May 27th. Troublesome gaps found in port security. U.S. Customs can't guarantee post-11 cargo, September 11th cargo standards. Let's not get too far into that. But basically what the story is that um, what they've done is they're relying on the companies who are shipping the freight to provide the security and to certify themselves, sort of like the airlines did before 9-11. And we talked a couple months ago about a book I read. Uh, oh, I'll think of it in just a second. Uh, anyway, uh, his point is it's coming on a boat next time, and 
they keep saying in all this national security stuff about smuggling it into a shipping container. And I believe the idea would be to buy your own boat, buy your own, uh, you don't need to smuggle it into shipping con- uh, container, buy your own boat, have the boat go around the world, uh, get a little bit of history and, and uh, put it in your own shipping container. <laughs> yeah, so anyway. Well, it's, 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 I, I see it's quite a difficult situation because uh, some of these ships carry uh, the new, that new uh, mask line ship is going to carry 15,000 containers. Yeah. How are you, how are you going to inspect 15,000 oh, containers? No. You can't even get the doors open. Um, and you can't, and time is money too. Anyway, we got to, uh, that's most of the news items there. We got Dick Baldwin hopefully on the phone this morning. Good morning, Dick. Are you there? Good morning. I certainly am. Oh, glad to have you, Dick. Sorry you couldn't make it over here this morning. Uh, Dick has, as I said before, uh, created uh, four little boats and, and had the boat and launched them off of uh, Newfoundland the other day. And we'll get to that in, in just a minute. Dick, what, let's talk about your resume for a minute. What, what made you all boaty? Okay. Well, I've sailed since I was very young and, uh, you know, used to read Chichester's books and just vehemently as a youngster wanted to do some solo sailing. And I did that, you know... Five or six years ago, I did that for several years and finally had enough of that. I'm 60 years old now and decided to get into this miniature boat stuff. So you built a couple of little boats. Describe what you built. Okay. I built these boats out of styrofoam, and then I fiberglassed them. So Just nice blue, blue styrofoam from the lumberyard. Yes. Yeah. Two inch. I laminated three layers together. And I've got a 54-inch hulls. Uh, they're kind of shaped somewhat like uh, the open 60s, wide in the stern, you know, really broad. It's got a great big skeg, a 15-inch skeg off the back, very thick. I worked with a naval architect on this with a 10-pound weight, lead weight on the bottom. Uh, the hulls only weigh 6 pounds. Then it has a spinnaker-like sail on the very front. The mast is only three or four inches from the very from the stem and it's self-tending it's got a boom on there that the sail stays directly downwind it kind of blocks the wind and these boats are doing real well i mean they've been out there now for five days anyways and each of them there's two out there now they've gone up to 3.9 knots so i'm quite impressed and this is really a big drift experiment. It's kind of a it's kind of a really high tech message in a bottle. Uh, let's see where they end up. And yeah, but hey, I disagree with you a little bit. It's not a drift thing, you know. It goes with the prevailing winds and the current. But the wind does a lot more than the currents. I mean, these are these are moving right along. Interesting. Now you got the uh, schooner Bowden, who is on a two month cruise uh, with students to Greenland at the present time. They're going up above the Arctic Circle. Yep. First time in years. Uh, you gave what three of them to schooner Bowden, and they launched them off of Newfoundland the other day, I believe. Yes, I gave them two. Uh, I've got a couple more. I'm really trying to get the area schools into this. I think it's a great project for vocational ed. They could build the boats. Maybe a naval architect could come talk to them. Uh, the computer geeks could work with the satellites and the computers. And, you know, the earth science kids can study the winds and the currents. And even some international relations, you know, our foreign language departments, will know when these boats get close to the coast. We can call area high schools or yacht clubs, Coast Guard, whatever, to maybe go out and pick these boats up or to look for them on the beach as they come in. What do they have on them for tracking devices? I mean, I would think like an EPIRB, but an EPIRB is usually a pretty chunky little canister, you yeah. know? Yeah. Oh, no. These are GPS <laughs> through iBoat, iBoat.com, and that's how you can monitor these. They're uh, nine and a half inches by about six inches wide and about an inch thick. So I've got a little cockpit in these boats. And they've got to be waterproof, so there's one layer of fiberglass cloth over them. And they send messages to the satellite every two hours. So we get a little dot on the computer screen as to where they are, and we get a series of dots. And it's, it's really neat. Uh, they've come very close to shore a couple of times on Newfoundland. They were, only, they were less than two and a half miles offshore a couple of days ago. And, but now they're 
starting to go southeast, and you know, if we're lucky, they're going to make it across the ocean. As you said when we were talking yesterday, uh, they scun right by Cape Race, Newfoundland. Oh, you noticed that, yeah. About uh, two and a half miles off, you said. Yes. Yeah. How long do you expect the batteries to last on these? One year. Wow. Up to a year. Because we know, you know, if it does successfully get out in the ocean a little further, you know, once she gets offshore, there shouldn't be any problem. With the prevailing winds about 70% of the time going west, uh, we thought they'd come in at Bay of Biscay, France. But, you know, it's possible it might go, you know, south by the Canary Islands and into the Caribbean. So we wanted good battery power. Uh, We'd expect them to be in France by September 1st, certainly. But, you know, if she kind of turned the corner and went south, uh, then she'd be maybe in the Caribbean uh, by mid or late winter. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah, it, it's great for studying currents and winds. Yeah. And this boat just goes straight downwind. Were these two launched together? And yes. Are they staying together? Pretty well. They're about seven miles apart after five days. They were launched together, and they stayed real close together. The first day or two, they were only a couple miles apart. I hope some fishing boat doesn't pick them up as a toy to take home to their kids. That's yeah. what I was thinking, too, or, you know, accidentally get caught somehow yeah. or, or run over. I right. mean, it's a perilous ocean, as you know. Yeah. Well, we're looking for it. If all of a sudden that track, you know, goes pretty fast, we know she's on board some other ship or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Once she gets offshore, people won't even notice it. It's so small. Yeah. The masts are only, you know, three feet off deck level. Well, it's so cool because when you throw a message in a bottle overboard, um, you it may be found and you may hear where it ended up, but you don't know what its route was to get there. But right. With these things, you can actually figure just where they've been. Yep. You can see the route and we can see where it lands or where it's going to land. We can call them up and tell them, hey, these little boats are coming into shore. Go try to find them. And what they have, they've got a watertight compartment. It's really a vitamin bottle with a cap above deck. And so it's pretty obvious. We have messages from the school kids. Uh, Thorndike High School, SAD3. You know, we've got messages from about 25 students on there. And then I have a message in there, too. Uh, hopefully they'll email us, whoever finds it. How... Uh where exactly were they released, and uh, uh, why'd you pick that spot, and how does it relate to the Gulf Stream? Okay. Well, as I got these boats done, I was, it was quite interesting. You know, I, at the last minute, I decided, I said, geez, maybe Maine Maritime Academy could launch these. So I called the academy, and they said, yeah, sure, we'd love to launch those. And I, they said, what was your plan? And I said, well, I was going to release them from St. John, uh, Newfoundland, uh, probably like January 7th, weather permitting. And the guy says, oh, my God. He says, the Bowden's coming in on June 9th. The Bowden made really good time. And he said, instead of driving all the way up there, why don't you just give us the boats and castine, and we'll release them when the winds are right. And I was expecting them to release them off of, you know, Nova Scotia by Sable Island. But I guess the winds weren't right. Uh, it was a strong southerly wind. If you track the boat in an eye boat, you can see she moved right along, and it had to have been southerly winds. I haven't had a chance to talk to the captain who released them for us. But uh, they released them just south of Newfoundland. And she started out to the west just beautifully, but we had a wind shift, and she came in, just missed Race Point, and was heading towards the next peninsula over on Newfoundland. I'm not sure what the name was. But I thought they were going to go aground last night. But when I checked the track this morning, geez, we had another wind shift, and they're heading south and starting to go southeast now, it looks like. If the wind will just stay hard for a few days, she'll get right out to sea. So the uh, let's say if you throw a, a bottle into the water with a message in it, it's, it's really going to be uh, quite a bit current-dependent. Uh, and, of course, we got the Gulf Stream comes up the eastern side of the Atlantic, Yep. And um, like all the big circular uh, uh, rivers, call them, and in, in, in every ocean has one, yep. the western side of them is always more intense. And, and in the Gulf Stream, for instance, very intense coming up the western side of the Atlantic. Yes. 
and heads uh, east off of Newfoundland there towards Europe and curls back down and becomes a a much broader, more ill-defined thing. But your your boats are going to be much more wind-dependent than current-dependent, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Which I think is kind of neat. I mean, it is a sailboat, and it's exciting to see a sailboat go right along. Hmm. You say, sir, that you're you're only you're sixty one. Yes, uh, you're, you're just a kid. You better go get another boat. Oh, we're gonna <laughs> next year. We hope to get you know twenty five or forty of these. We're gonna try to get it in the high schools and also other interested adults too. Planning to make these in kit form that you know maybe the high school kids can build them from scratch if they want. But we're trying to offer these to anyone who wants one, and you know we call it the. 2008 unmanned mini transat transat for transatlantic <laughs> mm-hmm. and we're hoping i'm hoping to get 40 boats out there next year and maine maritime academy i've heard from three of their captains they just think this is a great program and i think the maine you know their training ship they're taking a coastal cruise next year i think from st lawrence down the east coast and i'm hoping that they could release batches of three boats, you know, maybe some off the main coast, some off of, you know, uh, Cape Cod, and more off of Cape Hatteras or something. Bermuda would be a great place to launch these, too. You might uh, want to get hold of the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. Uh, they do that for a living yes. sort of thing. Yeah. They may be interested in that. I think I'll take you up on that. Yeah, I have a book here. Uh, it's called To Follow the Water, Exploring the Oceans, Oceans and Discovering Climate. From the Gulf Stream to the Blue Beyond, it's a it's a layman's book about oceanography. Uh, Dallas Murphy is yep. the author. Very, uh, we'll read maybe from that in a few minutes here. Yep. Um, very interesting and and uh, very much uh, yep. influenced by Wood, Woods Hole. Yep. Which is uh, kind of local for us down in Buzzards yep. Bay. Yeah. You know, there's one other thing I want to tell you that makes it very interesting to follow this. I didn't know this, but. You know, there's about, I, I believe there's 11 stationary weather buoys uh, off of the Canadian coast. And, man, these boats were within several miles of this buoy the other day, and they're still pretty close to it. It's kind of off a of race point, about five miles south of the race point, I believe. And you can take our computers. We can click on that. And last night I did this. The winds were from 130 degrees. You know, 10 nautical miles, gusting to 30, and, you know, it gives the wave heights. I think it was 1.6 meters and gives the period of the, you know, I think it was every six or seven seconds, something like that. But it it makes it so exciting when you know what way the wind is blowing, and and you can see your boats are going right and dead downwind, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've got to get hold of, uh, uh, have you ever heard of a fellow named Herb Hilgenberger? Oh, absolutely. Uh, southbound. Uh, yeah. Herb is a famous Canadian fellow who um, yachters need weather information. And uh, Herb is an amateur, he's, well, he's a high-end amateur. Yes, he sure uh, is. Meteorologist. And in his basement in Ontario, he's got a very powerful radio set. And uh, if you are cruising south towards Bermuda, the Caribbean, yep. for instance, uh you want a weather router, and yep. Herb does this for free, but Herb has, uh, he has standards. If you get on Herb's wrong side, that's not a good thing. Okay. And, uh, yep. <laughs> he's kind of famous for protocols and stuff like that, but it's, uh, it's, if, uh, in the cruising world, it's uh, absolutely a famous thing. Uh, yes, southbound to the, the uh, like, say, Herb Hilgenberger net yeah. there. And, and he provides uh, forecasting you know, uh, anywhere, basically, yes. uh, not just around those uh, nice government buoys here right yeah he might be able to uh shed some uh boy i have his home phone number somewhere too uh do you yeah i might be able to look that up yeah Yeah. uh it's so exciting there's so much every time i talk to somebody just like you you know there's new things i learn uh like woods hole and herb you know i know about herb you know all offshore sailors know about herb as i'm sure you know and uh but I, I just totally forgot to even think of him. For like that. say, weather information. Yep. Yeah, way cool. Well, Dick, we caught you working this morning. You yeah. couldn't get over here, but uh, I believe you'd be welcome about any time. We would uh, be re- very interested to keep following this in the future. Yeah. And as you say, uh, there's a website where people can click on and track these things? Yes. It's iBoat, you know, www, all small letters, I, B-O-A-T, 
T-R-A-C-K.com. That's all one word. iBoatTrack.com. Yes, and these guys, they track, you know, the Newport Bermuda race, a lot of different races. The Newport 1-2, the Marion Bermuda race. So they're they're tracking several things. They're tracking the Bowden so you can see their Arctic voyage. And you can even get a daily log from Captain Miller, who is also a weather router uh, for Maine Maritime Academy, along with Captain Chase, who is as well. These guys are teaching that stuff and wrote the curriculum. So it's amazing the expertise we've had. Very, very cool, her, um, uh, Herb uh, Deck. Okay. <laughs> We're uh, so glad to talk yep. to you. Love the imagination of the thing. Um, you know, wondering about uh, fleets of them washing up all over the all over the world. You know, I guess they're noticeable enough that they wouldn't just end up as, uh, you know, trash flotsam, as we would say, you know. But uh, um, very, very cool to, yeah, I, like say, different... Uh, different uh, um, yep. Uh, as you say, the boatyard bills are very, very reasonable on these craft. Absolutely. <laughs> Should you uh, choose to own and experiment with one, and and uh, you know uh, anybody can pretty much handle a, a 54-inch boat. Yes, yeah. they're not so easy to fit in your car, though. Yep. And, but the good thing is, is we know where they're going ashore. We can call the newspapers in the area, alert people, and so it, I don't think they're going to wash up on the shore and never be heard of again. Uh, Depends on if it's a populated area or not, but so that that adds a, a really good dimension to it. Well, Dick, we thank you very much this morning, and and uh, we look forward to talking to you in the future. Good, I'll bring my boats up next time. Oh, wouldn't that be good? Visual yeah. aids for the radio. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> you'll get a kick out. Oh yes, who cares? You know. Okay. Yeah. Good luck. Good thank luck. you guys. Yep. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Yep. Bye. Dick Baldwin from down in Belfast. And, I have uh, a little. Uh, a quick announcement to uh, we know and you and I know we have lots of fellows who work in boatyards are listening right now. And last year down in Belfast, they had the main boat building challenge where uh, teams of two were given materials to make a I think it's twelve foot flat bottom skiff. I've done that race, my yeah, friend, my not quite friend the, Richard Ryder and I. Yeah. Not quite the same design. Yeah, so have I. Um, <clears throat> well, anyway, they're going to be having that challenge again this year down in Belfast, and if you are interested in forming a team, it's time to get think about that now and make your entry, and you can do that by calling the Belfast Area Chamber of Commerce, 338-5900, and enter your team into the challenge. Last year, the main boat building challenge was won by a team of two guys from North Carolina. I don't yeah, think that's, that's right. very cool. Uh, another thing going on down in Belfast, and I should remember the date, but I... I don't. It's uh, towards the end of the month. I think it's the 26th. There'll be three Harrishoff yachts being launched at once there. They're boats that have been totally restored by French and Webb to very high standards. The workmanship in them is simply beautiful. And it's going to be a triple launching. So it's going to be quite an event. And when's that, Giffy? Uh, yeah, you put me on the spot. Well, you know. I think, I think it's the 26th. Yeah. But you can re- very easily find out from the Belfast Chamber of Commerce. Yes, 338-5900 is their number. Yeah. We would like to, uh, you know, uh, we've been doing kind of a boat, uh, boat of the month along here. Uh, this month I would call it Dick's uh, little old solo Mio boats, he calls them. And, uh, you know, French and Webb is, is on my radar screen to talk to. Certainly they do wonderful work yeah. down there. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, it's just great. Um, another interesting project along the coast is down to Booth Bay Shipyard. Uh, they uh, have uh, the 85-foot uh, Bella Venture in there for a major, major refit. I, I've been down to look at her, and uh, I'm very impressed with the quality of the work. She's Sailboat. just simply a beautifully built boat, and the work they're doing on her is Simply beautiful. Very, very, very nicely done to very high standards. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, we'll have some more. i got some more stuff here about uh, drifting uh, messages in bottles and some oceanography stuff, but the phone is ringing. Let's uh, give the phone number and then answer it. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Interrupt us at any time. Good morning. Who's there? Oh, hi, Mike. It's Jody in Harborside. Morning, Jody. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Wonderful. Uh, 
I um, heard you talking about cargo security a while back, and um, the uh, prospect of Sears Island being turned into a cargo port is looming large. Um, Department of Homeland Security could very well take over the island because of concerns about what's coming in on cargo ships. And there's even the possibility that the causeway could be closed down for all business other than freight handling uh, for security reasons. And that's uh, going to be a concern to boaters, I would think. Um, I was just wondering what your, what your take is. Well... Put me right on the spot, will you? I have, um, I'm, a, I'm always in favor of a dock. Um, I think that um, everything comes on ships, you know, and you've got to have, you've got to have docks and shipping. We are uh, dock poor for major ships in the state of Maine. Um, the ports of Halifax and St. John, New Brunswick, um, out, out uh, do us by, uh, particularly for containers. We don't have a actual container port in the port in the state of Maine. The plan was for three ports, Eastport, Searsport, and Portland. Eastport, they built a new dock down there, and now they finally put up a storage building. They didn't have any storage, which was kind of inconvenient. And uh, they really, um, I think they have an ability to handle uh, containers down there, but not in, in uh, you know, a major port, uh, fa modern fashion. Um, I could be wrong about that. In Portland, uh, they handle some containers too, but again, it's not what you call a major container port. So I guess I'm I'm all in favor of having a a uh, port, but I could allow for the the uh, thing that it might not be Sears Island. And of course, when you talk about uh, uh, the port of Sears Island possibility, you have to recognize there is an existing port right next door at Mac Point, right. and uh, which kind of you know, you can't go on, on the arguments of, well, uh, navigation would be hazardous. Uh, come, you know, ships have been coming and going there for years. Mac Point is geographically limited. And, uh, you know, but there is, uh, uh, historically, there's a pipeline there that went up to the Bangor Airport, I believe, and, and possibly down to Brunswick. I'm not sure. But uh, there's a rail line there. I mean... Uh, I was just about to bring up the rail line yeah. because it's, it's that rail line, the... Maine, Montreal, and Atlantic Railway, uh, which used to be the Bangor and Aristic Railway, that is driving this entire juggernaut, um, along with the Department of Transportation, which claims to own the island. Um, that if if this were to go through, the the rail lines would um, move from the island. Um, on whatever comes in on the ships to various ports. It's, it's a way to export our wood chips and our water, both of which um, should not be um, uh, a, a, a cause for profiteering. I mean, that this is if you analyze where all the, the drive is coming from, you, you end up with some pretty base... Um, corporate profiteering, and um, I, I have a real concern that, uh, that the, ex the, the amount of paving that would have to be done that would actually enclose a loop of conservation land, since the current uh, proposal on the table involves a deal between conservationists and industrial users of the island, um, which is in itself an admission of failure. I mean, you have two irreconcilable interests on one on one island, and there's there's a proposal to to achieve all of all of the permits for this by mitigation banking, which uh, could set a very bad precedent in Maine. So I'm I'm just throwing it out because I I think boaters um, of all kinds, the windjammers and the small boaters, will find this a very ugly thing to. Uh, get around, and with Homeland Security involved, it can get quite complicated. So uh, maybe more people will have some thoughts about how we can organize to oppose what is being planned. There's a hearing in Belfast at the Hutchinson Center on the 25th, and I put that out there for people to come and... Well, my, my comments are that um, if you don't want businesses 
to proceed and be able to show a profit, it seems to me then you're going to ask the government to do it. And when you ask the government to do it, it costs twice as much, and you're going to, your taxes are going to go sky high. And some of these modern things we do are relatively uh, clean. Uh, you know, ships coming in with containers, uh, offloading them onto rail cars. Uh, uh, it's really a pretty clean way of handling things. I can remember as a young man being in Boston and seeing the different cargoes unloaded out of ships, uh, all bulk cargoes, and it was all dirty. Whether it was coal or wheat or whatever the product was, uh, it, it's all dirty. And now you, you handle everything in a fairly clean manner. The ships are clean and efficient, uh, and shipping by rail is is probably very cost effective. It's much cheaper to, much better to ship by rail than it is by trailer truck. You you got one train taking umpteen containers as as opposed to one truck. Uh, you have to make choices and. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. So. There's, there's another option, and that is to uh, support uh, enterprises that are, are not polluting. Maine has gone on record as supporting um, creative, the creative economy and, and supporting quality of place standards, which define Maine as a place where people come to get away from heavy industry. And I think we, we do have, uh, with the, the global warming crisis that is only going to get worse and is going to cost us more in, in terms of fuel, um, some new watchwords to promote, which is buy less. Uh, we don't need all the cheap Chinese imports coming in on cargo ships and buy local. So uh, we are going to have to make some changes in years to come. And the there's a real question as to whether any more. Well, I agree with your one statement about we don't need all the things coming in from China on, a, on containers, but then you must produce them yourself. And it is, a, it is the global age, and uh, Maine is a maritime. Uh, that's how, how uh, that's our basic claim to fame, how we got here. And, and uh, you know, as far as uh, shipping things on ships and, and railway, and you mentioned the price of gas, but it's not likely to, you know, get more reasonable. And, and uh, you know, it's got to be thought of, I think. But uh, I don't know exactly where to put it. And, uh, you know, I do like a nice uh, wild. Well, you can't call Sears Island wild either. It's, it's really not accurate. But anyway, Jody, can I recommend a book to you? And then uh, we have somebody else waiting on the phone here. The book is called The Outlaw Sea, William Langwish. He's a uh, Atlantic uh, writer, and uh, we talked about this uh, several months ago on Boat Talk, and basically um, it talks about the administration of the sea, how things actually do move around the world, and uh, that's where I got my impression that it's coming on a boat next time. Yeah. And that, you know, uh, the maritime regulations, the flags of convenience are all kind of a, you know, kind of a uh, comforting facade is the way he puts it. The Outlaw Sea, William Languish. I got it. They have a copy at the Bangor Library. You can get it on library loan. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad we got the discussion going, and I hope more people will jump in. Thank yeah. you. We thank sort you. of stayed away from LNG and Sears <laughs> Island and stuff. But and it's, we... it's not LNG anymore. <laughs> no, and, uh, well, down east, too, you know, and, and we've made the uh, phone ring here, so we've got to let you go, Excellent. Jody. And yep. Number here, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Somebody else is on the phone. Good morning. Well, before we get to them, let's quick insert that radioactive I'm sure is going to be following up with more Sears Island reports on Thursday afternoons at 4 o'clock. There was a call in here last week about Sears Island and the enthusiasm or the level of response was uh, so great that they added another half an hour that afternoon and it is a subject of some great interest locally okay. right now. Environmentalists getting uh, put down by other environmentalists for, you know, making show oh, so it's well, tricky business. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yeah, this is uh, this is Sunny in Belfast. Hi, Sunny. In state. Hi. Um, I just going to say the hair shops are being launched at Crenshaw Webb 
Uh, can uh, you turn down your radio, Sonny? We're getting a lot of feedback from you. Yeah, hang on. The uh, feedback is when uh, a signal arrives. Uh, I'm talking into the microphone, and if my voice goes over the air to her radio and then comes back into this microphone just a bit later, it freaks out the microphone. That's that's what feedback is. So anyway, you got to turn down your radio. Okay, oh, Sonny, okay. go ahead. Okay, I turned it down. Um the, the guy who is the older gentleman, I forget his name, he was mentioning the hair shops that are being launched at French and Webb. Yes. Uh, I was just looking on the website, and just to heads up, it's uh, the 22nd on a Sunday at 1 p.m. 22nd at the Sunday in Belfast at the town land, landing? Yeah. Yeah. And a triple launch, and you don't get to see that and too I, much. I thank you, and I apologize. Okay. Oh, no problem. I'm what, just, uh, what's the website, Sonny? Pardon? Was it French and Web website? Yeah, it's just FrenchWeb.com. Okay. Oh, well, thank you very much, Sonny. Thank you. Keep You're welcome. Thanks, right. Sonny. Phone's ringing again. Uh, it's, again, one 625 9378 we got other stuff to get out here, but we would just soon talk to you. Good morning. Good morning. Who are we speaking with? This is uh, uh, Bennett Verbeck uh, calling from uh, Brooks, Maine. Morning, Bennett. Morning. How are you all folks doing there? Great. I'm uh, well, I'm sitting here working on my I have a 26 foot uh, uh, Bristol uh, Channel uh, cutter ah. that I'm uh, as I like to say I'm two years into a into a three three month uh, uh, restoration uh, on her traditional bow building that is <laughs> and I'm sitting here you know uh, juggling seed compound radio the phone trying to get trying to trying not to get things too much. Gooped up, but I was just thinking um, um, that, uh, uh, and I got thinking about it when you guys mentioned um, mentioned uh, French and Webb. Is that there are two fellows who uh, who worked uh, worked at at uh, French and Webb um, for a couple of years on those on those boats that you mentioned, and they have since um, decided to go off, um, you know, on their own, and they're doing uh, traditional. Boat work uh, for for uh, folks, and were it not for them, I would probably be looking at another. I'd probably be into a three or maybe even four four year uh, project here. And I just wanted to um, to mention them, and if it's all right to uh, to give out their uh, f- uh, f- uh, phone number, sure, two, why not? Two two young uh, fellas, and that's about. And uh, uh, years or so, they're um, um, O'Donovan and Dole. How's that for a nice, fancy yeah. sounding boat? Um, it's John O'Donovan and Patrick Dole, and they're they're really good. I can't say um, e, uh, enough about them. They help me re uh, uh, plank part of the part of the boat. You can reach John. Uh, I know his number right off the top of my head is three two three four two one seven. And um, they are very reasonably priced. They will come to your place, hauling along trailer and tools. Um, no job apparently too small or too uh, uh, big. And I just I sort of wanted to use the the uh, boat talk uh, forum to try to uh, promote you know some more local local uh, fellows. Thanks, Bennett. On the way out here, can I uh, give you one of my favorite boat teases? Oh, you you said it was a twenty-six foot boat that you're fixing up. Yeah, it's only twenty-six feet long. How much trouble can it be? <laughs> Don't you run out of things to touch after a year or two? No, y- no, <laughs> no. <laughs> you're right. Well, I I sort of I sort of thought 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 that I might, and I'm I'm now looking at uh, uh, July. Uh, July fourteenth launch 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 date, and I thought, ah, oh, that's you know, plenty of time. And now I'm going, oh, geez, I got five five weeks to get themes done. Love your top optimism. Paint on and top paint on, and everything stripped and prettied up. And um, and also just just wanted to say thanks to um, to you guys. You guys, I've been I've been listening to you every single every single. Well, send send us a picture of your boat when it gets ready to the Boat Talk website. Yeah, we'll put it up there. Okay. Well, thank you, Bennett. Good luck, Bennett. Okay. 
And, of the course, you have to touch everything on a boat multiple times. You make it, you fit it, then you uh, leave, leave it, lay around, then you bed it, and then you have to varnish it 19 times. And So, yeah, it is a good joke. Uh, how much trouble can that be? It's only that big. We have somebody else on the phone this morning. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. It would be a lot less trouble if you just forget the varnish and put some paint on. That's there you go. There's a man with... You've, uh, have, oh, I couldn't go without that. Have you any experience in this area, sir? Yes, sir. Put your varnish inside. That's my, that's my advice. Don't, don't let the customer ever see any wood outside that isn't already painted, and then you'll be free and clear. So oh, friend. oh, that would be terrible. <laughs> Listen, I had a customer who bought a, who bought a 50-foot Arthur Rob Yall that was painted white, and it was peeling. And when he peeled, when he took all the paint off and looked at that splined Rocco hull, yes, he did. He varnished the whole oh, thing. Oh, why wouldn't you? It's pretty. Uh, we yeah, have on, sure the, was. on the phone one of our regular friends, Mike from Stonington, who has his own little boat yard down there. Yeah. So I, 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 didn't, I, w- I wasn't meaning to call about Sears Island, but as it was brought in, I'm going to throw in my two cents worth. Yep. I, there's a perfectly good port next door that they could modify and upgrade. It seems as dumb to me to, to ruin Sears Island as it was to build the new Waldo Hancock Bridge right next to the one next door that could have been refurbished for about one quarter the cost. And uh, so that's my take on Sears Island. seems like, uh, you know, Sears Island, if I recall, that actually, that whole thing came about because Belfast, Employment went, unemployment went to about 23% with the closing of all the chicken processing plants, and it was a bailout for, for, for Belfast, which hopefully doesn't need bailing out anymore. But um, anyway, what I called about was actually Homeland Security. All right, Be, then. Beware of Chertoff World. Um, for any licensed captains out there, uh, you may or may not know um, you, you, that you can no longer just send in your information to to Boston. I, I downloaded all the latest stuff right off the website. I dutifully took a day off work at this time of year, which is... Wow. Uh, and went to Ellsworth, and I got, my, I got my left thumbprint at the Hancock County Jail, and, um, and I got my passport photograph at the post office, and I got the police officer to sign off that I was who I said I was, and, and et cetera, et cetera, and I mailed off all the information my seat time, all that stuff, and a month later, I got a letter from the Regional Exam Center and Commercial Street in Boston to say that due to new Homeland Security rules, even though I just, I thought, downloaded the newest off their website, everybody has to show up in person. Go to your, you know, so anybody out there who's a licensed captain who doesn't already know this, um, that's what's in store for you. You have to go to your nearest REC, Regional Examination Center, which is Commercial Street in Boston, and be biometrically fingerprinted and, and let them see your smiling face in Probably person. Probably going to go twice. <laughs> uh, well, well, here's part two, Giffy. Um, I also got an email from the Coast Guard, and, and, and I just happened to be on a list because I take care of an inspected boat. And as far as I know, licensed captains, a lot of them are totally in the dark about this, but by October, we all have to go and lay out 132 bucks. Fortunately, we can go to Bangor for this. They're going to open the office up there, and we have to have a TWIC card. That's a transport worker's identification card. And every licensed captain in the country <clears throat> apparently is going to have to have one of these, and I wouldn't be surprised if every bus driver, train driver, and airline pilot's in there, too. Some, some mega corporation has landed a, a mega government contract here, and we're going to be, once again, biometrically fingerprinted and photographed. Mm. And that TWIC card is good for five years, and then you get to go back and do it again. And, and the nice thing about going to Boston, it only takes about five hours each way. Yeah. And you don't burn any gasoline. <laughs> no, no. And you don't pay any tolls on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, here's my take, Giffy. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna zip out of here at about 5.30 in the morning, and I'm going to go to Bangor, and I'm going to get on the Concord Trailways bus at 7.15, and I'm going to let them deposit me at South Station about 11.15, and I'm going to hail a cab and say, take me to 455 Commercial Street. And, I, and you can walk in. That is one thing. You don't have to have an appointment. And you walk in, and, uh, and apparently it's, it's all over um, uh, relatively quickly. Pete Buxton went through it, and uh, he said it was relatively painless down there. And then I'm going to take a cab back, and hopefully I'll arrive back in Bangor about 10.30 at night. 
considerably poorer and another day off work, but with with all my paperwork and documentation uh, uh, done. That, that's ridiculous. You should be able to at least get that done in Portland. Yeah. Oh, it's insane. Totally and this is all, and, and this is all supposedly to do with Homeland Security. This is, you know, I mean, this my captain's license, so I can take a few people out sailing on Penobscot Bay, you know. But there kind, you go. That's, kind of akin to Grandma taking her shoes off at the airport while, uh, <laughs> as I say, some other detail of the cargo security is really not in place. Uh, you know, you got to look like they're doing something. Mike, we got to let you go. We're running out of time. Somebody's okay. waiting on the phone. Thank you so much. Good morning. Just don't forget, it's a good thing we don't get all the government we pay for. Yo. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Who's there now? Hi, this is Gray from Hancock. Hey, how are you this morning? We only uh, have a couple of minutes, Gray. I, okay, I just wanted to offer a, a thought on the Sears Island thing. Uh, I've never heard anybody talk about how long it's actually going to be useful. And considering the uh, the price of fuel, I think that the uh, the nature of shipping is going to change with radically within the next 20 years. And I know this is a fantasy, and, and I haven't thought it out completely, but... You may in see something like huge ocean-going sail-powered barges do a lot of shipping that would like offload offshore at some uh, terminal that, and then would be ferried into a, a local terminal. And a, and a place like Sears Island, what they're proposing for Sears Island, may become obsolete in 10, 15, 20 years. And do we really want to... Uh, develop this otherwise undeveloped island that has other values besides shipping just for this short-term thing. That's about, that's about all I wanted to, to bring up. Good questions, well, Greg. Thank okay, you. Great. I, I disagree with it because I, I think uh, off, anything offshore gets very complicated and uh, Maine des- desperately needs a good shipping port somewhere mm. in the middle of Maine. You yeah. pick it. Maybe not Sears Island, but it sure needs a good place. It needs to be deep water. I have uh, one quick thing to insert before the end of the show, too. Franklin Price, the underwater archaeologist who was on our show in February, is organizing a bunch of volunteer divers to help him uh, do some uh, underwater surveys in the, in the area. And if you are at all interested, if you're a diver and would like to do some some pretty interesting uh, archaeological work. Please give Franklin a call. His number is 664-9857. It's also on the website, too. The uh, phone's still ringing. I, I doubt we're going to have time for that. I wanted to throw this uh, oceanography uh, paragraph in from To Follow the Water, but, Alan, we're making a major mistake here right now. We haven't... We haven't uh, we haven't oh. promoted the Boat Talk well, we Cruise. We haven't talked about the Boat Talk yeah. Dinner Cruise. It's going to happen at the end of the month. I'll make a promo, and we'll put it on the air. But you can also go to the website, and we'll, t- tonight we'll put up information on the Boat Talk Dinner Cruise. That's going to be happening on In brief, uh, June 28. You know, been offered a boat and a captain and uh, 30-odd people capacity. Uh, 50. 50 uh, down to Mount Desert Island, maybe run around some sound. I'm not sure what. Yeah, but, we'll uh, do some yeah. looking at some houses from the, from the water side, like you say we can't do it. So, yeah. But we'll, let's all go take a boat, boat ride. Boat talk dinner cruise. Why not? So more and more coming on that. And, uh, again, the phone is ringing like uh, flashing lightning in there. Uh, maybe I can throw this in at the end. Prince Albert, uh, an older Prince Albert from the 1800s, he uh, got tired of yachting and trying to waste his time, went into oceanography. He released uh, 1,675 glass spheres in the ocean to drift, you know. Only 273 of them were found. Nowadays, they have drifters that can drift at different depths. They ballast them and mm. uh, it can, to study current, will pop up to the surface, transmit to a satellite, and go back down to depth again. And, and this is how they measure, uh, talking about Dick Baldwin's uh, boat experiment here. But to follow the water, here's uh, one that ties it all together, drifting and energy and the whole thing. There is no such thing in any ocean as a singleton current flowing from here to there and ending the way a river ends at its mouth. All ocean currents are melded components of a large basin-wide circulation system called gyres. In plain English, a gyre refers to a circle in either form or motion. In that sense, the capitalized names don't indicate separate currents with distinct origins or endings, but are arcs of a unified circle. Among the first thing the neophyte Oceanographer notices after a short dip into geophysics is that nature loves things that spiral, rotate, whirl, orbit, and gyre. Circles have no beginning, no end, and circles don't use up mass or energy, but they conserve both, and that's what nature likes about them. The oceans are full of circles, 
Scientists learned in the uh, 1970s energetic swirls and eddies of all size from tens of hundreds of uh, from tens to hundreds of miles in diameter. Some are short-lived, lasting for weeks or months, while others spin for years. Strictly speaking, the currents comprise the gyres. Temporary uh, vary in direction and velocity, but we can still call them permanent features of all the oceans. All the oceans have them. And we've just worn out boat talk for the month, but it is good fun. Stay tuned the second Tuesday of any month. And in the uh, near future, is Cheryl is coming up to uh, Back to the Music with On the Wing. What? Uh... Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com.